says it's got green light all right we got there okay I'm playing a church in Amelia we don't really need microphones out there right <laughs> uh, so I'm Marty Cates I'm the assistant pastor of church planting here at Spring Run um, planting a church out in Amelia County as Jake just prayed for us um, and, and you can continue to pray for Meredith and I can report there's not a house to to tell you about this morning so you can t- pray that someone out there would be like man I really want to move and I want to specifically give my house uh, to Marty and Meredith Cates. They don't have to give it to us, we'll pay for it, but that they have us in mind somehow uh, through the Lord. Um, we're continuing this morning in our, our series that we took a break from last week. Uh, it's a series in uh, the, Paul's letter to the Thessalon- uh, church in Thessalonica. A, a church that is um, under persecution, a church that's being slandered, a church that's surrounded by discouragements. And so he writes to, to give them hope. Uh, to continue on, to keep on. And so we, we need to hear this, right? I mean, we're a church today, maybe not Spring Run in particular, but uh, the church worldwide that is being slandered. Uh, we're a church uh, that is under persecution 
in corners of the world. We're a church that the world hates. Uh, we are a church that is under attack. The gospel itself is under attack. Not just from those who seek to discredit it and, and toss it aside, but even from those who, who say that, that, that Christ isn't enough. Uh, that we need piety and, and, and righteousness. Uh, that we need to be doing certain things for us to really be saved. People that want to add to the gospel. And so we need this word from Paul. Because that's not the way to God. The, the way to God is through Christ alone. By faith alone. Given to us by grace alone. And so we come to his word this morning to answer that question. How, how do we stand fast in the face of adversity? How do we stand fast in the face of suffering? How do we stand fast in the face of persecution? So before we read together from 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, would you pray with me this morning? Heavenly Father, we come, we give you praise and glory. Now for all that we've sung of you this morning, of your mercy and your grace, we come this morning rejoicing that you are a God who has heard your people's cry and you have been moved, you've been moved to action to send your son to lay down his life. And so we come this morning to your word asking for you to bless the reading and preaching of your word and that you would use it this morning to grow our faith that we might fall more deeply in love with Christ our Savior and pursue the righteousness of his kingdom evermore. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. So we're in 1 Thessalonians chapter 3 this morning, and you can read along with me. Therefore, when we could bear it no longer, we were willing to be left behind at Athens alone, and we sent Timothy, our brother and God's co-worker in the gospel of Christ, to establish and exhort you in your faith, that no one be moved by these afflictions, for you yourselves know that we are destined for this. For when we were with you, we kept telling you beforehand that we were to suffer affliction just as it has come to pass and just as you know. And for this reason, when I could bear it no longer, I sent to learn about your faith for fear that somehow the tempter had tempted you and our labor would be in vain. But now that Timothy has come to us from you and has brought us the good news of your faith, and love and reported that you always remember us kindly and long to see us as we long to see you. And for this reason, brothers, in all our distress and affliction, we have been comforted about you through your faith. For now we live, if you are standing fast in the Lord, for what thanksgiving can we return to God for you, for all the joy that we feel for your sake before our God, as we pray most earnestly night and day, that we may, we may see you face to face and supply what is lacking in your faith. Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus Christ direct our way to you. And may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all as we do for you so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all of his saints. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. This is God's word. It's without error in any part. It's given for our good and for his glory. So Paul's writing to this church, right? He's writing to encourage them. He's, he's writing to restore hope in the midst of this persecution. 
And he writes this morning, and he gives us these keys to standing fast. He gives us these keys so that we can keep on keeping on. And he gives us three of them, that we're to keep on in fellowship, that we're to keep on in faith, and that we're to keep on in love. And so we see we're to keep on in fellowship, and we see this as he opens this chapter with this, therefore, and we could bear it no longer. We're willing to be left behind in Athens alone. And so we sent Timothy, our brother, and he goes on to talk about how he's been moved by their suffering, how he's, he's been moved by their afflictions. You see, when we have fellowship with one another, we have concern for one another. When we have fellowship for one another, we have a concern and affection for one another that moves us. We, we like to do things in the name of fellowship that often aren't just really fellowship, right? F- fellowship involves more than just hanging out with your friends. As, as brothers and sisters in Christ, we should be moved to a love for one another, a love that, that it spurs us on in affection and concern about spiritual well-being of one another. So that when we hear of someone's sufferings, when we hear of someone's pain, when we hear of someone's, that they're, they're being persecuted or slandered, that our heart breaks for them and that we're moved by that. We're, we're moved to the point that I mean, Paul prays for them. He's been praying for them earnestly, night and day, he says. So yes, we're moved to prayer, but it's also that, that we're moved to action. He says that, that, that when they were, could bear it no longer, when they could bear the, the reports of their suffering, when he could bear no longer the reports of their afflictions, when they could bear it no longer, they sent Timothy, leaving him behind alone in Athens. And, and we might not understand what's happened and, and why that's a big deal, but it's not really a safe time for Paul, right? He, he's being hunted in ways. He's, he's being persecuted. He's being, uh, you know, stoned and, and pushed out of villages and towns because of what he's proclaiming in the gospel. And so he's sending Timothy, who we know is younger than him. He's the, he's the strong one. You know, we often think of Timothy's youth and we think he's a teenager. He's probably not a teenager, but he's at least young, you know, he's still the strong guy. He's the back you want when you need to move something. And so he's willing to send him because he has this care and concern for the Thessalonians. They are his spiritual children. You know, Tim Keller, uh, in, in, a, in a panel that he uh, was on, answered a question. I don't remember the question exactly, but it was about parenting and, and children. And, but in his answer was this. He said, as a parent, Kathy and I, so Kathy, his wife, he says, Kathy and I have decided... You are never more happy than your least happy child. You're never more happy than your least happy child. If you're a parent that has love and affection for your children, you know that that's true. Your heart is so tied up in their well-being and in their happiness that it stops you from being as happy as you could be when they're suffering, when they're struggling. And it moves you to pray for them. Sometimes it, it, it moves you to, to do things for them to care for them. It doesn't matter if they're three, they're 13, they're 23, or they're 43. They're your kids. And so Paul has this, this love for this congregation because they're his spiritual children. He, he started this church and then he, he left, but it's there that his heart is. And we're to have that kind of love for one another. Not just as, as parents to children, but as siblings. We've got three little girls, and this week I got to see the love my girls have for each other. You don't get to see this often with siblings, right? Yes, they'll hug, and they'll cuddle, and they'll spend time together. But I'm talking about the real love they have for one another. 
So our six-year-old has this blanket. She calls it Blanky. Um, we had it when we had our, our first daughter, but when Mary Margaret was born, it kind of became her blanket. And uh, it, I mean, it's, it's seen better days, folks. Like, it's probably going to be one of those blankets that we're sending in a plastic bag, like a little square that's left to college with her. It kind of feels like that point right now. She, uh, she wants to take it everywhere. So when it's time to go to school in the morning, she asks, can I, can I take it with me to school? And it's like, no, you can't take your blanket to school. But you can take it in the van. And she will just cuddle that thing. And then when she gets out of school, she will run to the van. And, and you open the door and there will be Blanky. And she will be Blanky. And she will just run and grab it and, and snuggle it. I don't know what kind of safety it feels like and comfort it provides, but it does something for her. And it was laying on the floor. And when we're currently living in my, my mom's condo, we don't have a house. And um, my mom's got one of those like power brooms. It's not really a vacuum, but it kind of has a beater bar and it helps you sweep hardwood floors or things like that. And our four-year-old, we're trying to teach him to do chores. She's pushing it around the condo and she may or may not be accomplishing anything. I don't know, but she, it's, it's on. And all of a sudden, Anna Clarence just, I mean, she bursts into tears. You would have thought somebody had just killed her puppy in front of her like just bawling and I was like what is what like I'm in the other room Meredith's not like paying attention either and both of us are like what what's wrong and she starts going on about Blanky and she had accidentally run the power broom over Blanky and she was moved in love for her sister and concerned because her, she knows this is her sister's Blanky and how much her sister loves this Blanky and she, I mean, it was, she was inconsolable. Like we, we couldn't get her to calm down for like a solid five minutes. And then she would just erupt again because she was so worried that she had done irreparable harm to Blanky. That's the kind of love we're, we're to have. That, that, that when something happens that would upset one of us, that we'd be moved out of love for one another. That's Fellowship. It's not just getting together and enjoying a beer. It's not just getting together and and having a good time or or going fishing or whatever it might be that you do with your friends. It's being moved to concern and affection for one another. We we see this affection in how Paul responds to Timothy's report. Right, Timothy comes and it says he's he's been worried about them. He's been worried about this church. And and he he says that for them and and even reminds them, look, I told you you were going to suffer. I told you this was going to happen, that it's promised to us it's going to happen. And now it's happening, but I'm so moved, I want to come to you. But then Timothy shows up and says, but Timothy has come from you, and he's brought us the good news. Now, good news to Paul is almost always referring to the gospel. And so this good news that Timothy has brought is like gospel to Paul. He's brought us the good news of what? That... that of your faith and love, that you're, that you're remaining in faith and love. And then he keeps going and he says, uh, for, for this reason, we now live. You, you've ever had a loved one or a close friend or something that, that, that something has happened to them and you've been left waiting to find out how they're doing? You know, you're, you're sitting on pins and needles wondering when the doctor's going to come through those doors from the emergency department and tell you the bad news. And they come out and they tell you the good news. And you can breathe that sigh of relief. Your, your, your gut finally calms down. Your, your, your nerves melt away a little bit and you can breathe again. That, that, that's the picture that we have of Paul here. 
He, he, he's heard of their suffering. He's heard of their affliction. And, and he's been on pins and needles because he can't go to them right now. And, he, and he's got such great love for them that he's worried, what, that they're going to be tempted by the tempter and that his, his work will have been in vain. He's, he's worried that they're going to walk away from the faith because of everything that's happening. And so Timothy shows up and says, good news, Paul. Good news. They're, they're staying steadfast in faith and love. They're remaining true to the Lord. And, and, and Paul says, that is good news. And he says, and it brings life to my bones. And then he says, it's for joy. That the, the good news of their faith brings joy. See, fellowship's not just hanging out together. It's, it's sharing life together. It's, it's, a, it's a heart-to-heart thing. But it also does involve a face-to-face thing. And Paul says that. He's like, right, I want to come to you. I, I long to be with you again face to face. It's hard to have true fellowship with people that you never see face to face, that you never walk alongside life in. But as you walk in true fellowship, your love for them should grow. As you remain in, in fellowship, your concern and affection for them should grow. And Paul's overjoyed because they remain in faith and love. John Calvin said that in faith and love, we have in some the whole of the Christian life. Those two words, in faith and love, you can summarize the whole of Christian life in those two words. And Paul rejoices as he hears from little Timothy that they are standing fast in faith and in love. It's joy to him. It's life to him. It's gospel good news to him. And so we keep on keeping on by keeping on in fellowship and growing in love and concern for one another. But we also keep on keeping on as we keep on in faith. Right, Paul says he wants to return to them and he gives a specific reason. Not just to see them face to face, that's part of it, but the other part of it is to provide for them what is lacking in their faith. Well, he had sent Timothy, and it says Timothy had been doing what? He had been exhorting them. He had sent Timothy, their brother, to exhort them and establish them in their faith. Well, now Timothy's back, so who's exhorting them now in their faith? Well, Paul wants to go so that he himself can exhort them in their faith to supply what is lacking. Well, how does faith grow? Well, faith grows through the Word of God, by knowing the Word of God, by believing and trusting in the promises of God and by resting in the person of God in Christ Jesus. So Paul wants to, to, to bring to them the word because that's what builds up their faith. Right, Jesus says in John 14, what? To, to his disciples in, in, in this midst of, of one of the most troubling times of their lives to not be afraid, to not be troubled. He says, don't let your hearts be troubled, but believe in God and also in me. So the foundation for their comfort was to believe. The foundation of their comfort was faith. Faith in God and faith in Christ. Faith believes God's word and it trusts God's promises. And it rests in Jesus. And Paul wants to come and teach them. He wants to come and exhort to them and give them the word. Why? Because it's in the word that the Holy Spirit builds us up. It's, it's in the word that, that, that we are strengthened, that our faith flourishes. We don't realize it sometimes. 
We, we come here every uh, Sunday, many of you, and you sit under the, the preaching and the teaching of God's word, and it's a, it's a cumulative effect. It continues to build upon itself. As you sit under the teaching and the preaching of God's word, the Holy Spirit uses it. He manifests itself in your hearts, and he strengthens it so that we can stand fast, so, so that we can remain in him. And so we grow in faith through the work of the Holy Spirit as it applies God's word to our hearts. It's a grace that's given to us. And then he prays, lastly, this last keeping on is that they keep on in love. He says that they should, as he prays for them, he says, we pray most earnestly night and day that we may see you and supply what is lacking. He goes on, now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus direct our way to you. And may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all. And so that last way that we keep on keeping on is that we keep on in love. That we grow in love. Paul, as he's teaching Timothy and writing Timothy a letter in 1 Timothy uh, chapter 1, lays out, this is, this is the whole, like this is my vision for ministry. This is what I hope my ministry accomplishes, Timothy. This is what Christ has given to me, and it's, it's what? That the goal of their instruction is love. It's love that, that issues from a good heart and a clear conscience and a sincere faith. Paul says, my, my whole hope in my teaching is that, that it leads to Christians who love. Who love not because they're forced to love. Who, who love not because they, they've been guilt-tripped into it or shamed into it, coerced but they love because they've been set free to love. They, they love because they've experienced a love so great and so grand that it moves them to love. That's what he's praying for. We're called to love each other. We're called to, to, to love even further than that. We're called to love all. Even if you get rid of that part and just say that we're called to love each other, it means we're called to love sinners. Yeah, we're called to love sinners. You look down that, that row at the people next to you, they're sinners. You look up here at this guy that's preaching this morning, he's a sinner. And we're called to love sinners. You know what sinners do? Sinners hurt you. Some of you here this morning and you have been wounded by people who are supposed to love you. And they didn't do it very well. Some of you are sitting here this morning and you have hurt someone you were supposed to love because you didn't love them very well. So how do we do it? How do we love well? How do we love those people that are unlovely or unloving? How do we love the world that hates us? You do that because of the love you have been shown in Christ. You do that because of the love that you have experienced in Christ. You do that because you've been loved by a sacrificial everlasting love. Long before you loved, long before you even cared that God loved you, he loved you. And his love's not based on anything you've done. It's not based on your faith or your good works, your good looks, or your big bank account or your well-adjusted children or anything else you might add to it. The Father loves you because he loves you. Nothing in you, nothing apart from Christ. 
And so our capacity to love, like Paul describes and like Paul is praying for, is rooted in and dependent upon our experience of God's love for us. We can only love to the extent at which we have experienced God's love. Think about it. Have you ever tried to love someone in order for them to love you back? The answer is yes, we all have. We've all dated somebody that we were really interested in and they were only kind of interested in us probably, right? And so we threw ourselves at them. We bought flowers every day and we made mixtapes for them to listen to in the car on to and from school. We showered them with, with gifts and it just didn't work. On the opposite end of that is, is if you ever love someone who you know beyond a shadow of a doubt loves you back. Latter that, that's easy. It's easy to love someone that you know loves you. To love someone that you know truly loves you. That's easy. But to love someone and try to earn their love through your love, it kills you. It kills you. It wears you down and it steals your soul. And a lot of us try to do that. A lot of us try to, try, try to go out and love our neighbors and love our coworkers and love our classmates and our friends and our family and we leave behind the love of God. We, we leave behind the love that we've experienced and think if I can just will it in myself to love them more and all you do is grow angry and bitter and cynical. Because that's not what propels us to keep on. What propels us to keep on is the love that we have experienced. The love that's been shown to us by God the Father in Christ Jesus the Son. Love is not just an emotion or a feeling. Love is seeking the best interest of someone else despite the cost to yourself. Love is is seeking the best interest of someone else despite the cost to yourself. This is a great movie. It's not that great of a movie. I'm lying there. That's that's an exaggeration. There's a movie. (laughs) Denzel Washington, early 2000s, he's a father. And his son needs a very expensive transplant. And it gets denied by their insurance company. And so Denzel does what any father would do, right? He takes his, uh, his gun down to the hospital where the best transplant doctor in the, the country is and uh, barricades himself, the doctor, and some hostages in the hospital and demands that the hospital give his son the transplant. The movie goes on. Obviously, the police show up. They shut down everything. They're trying to negotiate with him. And it gets to the point where there's no other possible donor except for one person. Denzel Washington's character. So he's already guaranteed himself pretty much life in prison at this point, right? And now when there's no other viable options, he's willing to die so that his son can live. The best interest of someone else despite the cost to you. Now what you find out is there's only one bullet in the gun. There's a bullet for Denzel the whole time. They work it out. The kid gets the transplant. 
ruin the movie for you, spoiler alert. Sorry if you're going to go watch it. It's loosely based on a true story that happened in Canada, except Denzel walks out and he lives, and the father in the real story doesn't. But he's willing to lay down his life. Right, Jesus says to his disciples, what, no greater love as a man than this, he'd be willing to lay down his life for his friends. Self-denial to love and to serve others. We're able to love like this. We're, we're able to, to move towards those who are unlovely and unloving because someone moved towards us when we were unloving and unlovely to make us lovely that we might know and experience the riches of his love. And so Paul, Paul's praying and he wants them to grow in love. And we do it as we constantly look at the cross. So we constantly look and continually look at the greatest display of love the world has ever known. The cross of Christ. Where someone who was sinless and perfect laid down his life for a bunch of sinners. That, that we might be made new. That, that, that our sins might be paid for and that we might be reconciled to God the Father. That's how we keep on in love. We look to the cross. So if you want to stand fast in the Lord, you keep on growing and going in fellowship. If you want to stand fast in the Lord, you keep on going in the word. You keep on going in love our concern for one another that we, we should be spurring each other on to that faith and good works growing in love for one another and for the righteousness of God's kingdom in seminary I had the chance to serve at a church in St. Louis and uh, there was a young man there his name was Josh uh, Josh had a, a very rare genetic disorder and um, it's carried by, by women and it only shows up in and males, and, and it showed up in him, and he had a little sister, she was a carrier, and he had a little brother that also had it. And uh, Josh's little brother died very early on in his life, as was expected of Josh. But here I was, a seminary student, Josh is a teenager, and Josh, Josh got big questions about life, because he should be dead. By all medical understanding, he should not be alive, but he is. He watched his little brother die from the same disorder. And so he had questions. Why me? Why am I still alive? And so here I am, a punk seminary student, think I know everything in the world, and I'm sitting across from a kid who wants to talk about death because it's a reality in his life. I had no clue what to tell him. I just listened most of the time. And then when we would have youth group nights at the swimming pool, I'd chase him around with a water gun. He was wheelchair bound. He couldn't get in the, the pool with us very much. Um, we'd have these great conversations and then I'd go and meet with his, his dad later in the week who was a teacher at one of the Christian schools and, and Luke and I would pray for Josh because Josh at that point wasn't sure he was a Christian. And Luke said to me in one of those meetings, you know, everyone in the medical community calls and asks if we can put Josh in one of their studies because he's the anomaly no one's lived as long as him. And we say no. 
even if it promises to make his life better. And I'm like, whoa, I'm not sure how I would do that because it could also make his life worse. There's the other side of things. And then he said, I'd rather have Josh born again than Josh well. I'd rather know that Josh is secure in his hope in Christ than to have Josh well. Josh is still alive. He's 22 years old now. He's writing a book about zombies and his church youth group growing up. I can't wait to see what character I am. <laughs> but I tell you that story because that's the love and the concern we're to have for one another, that we care so much about each other's spiritual well-being, that, that our prayers aren't just for healing and for comfort, but that our prayers are that we all know and rest in the living hope that we have in Christ. Because that's what Paul's praying for for the Thessalonian church. As, as they face suffering and persecution and slander, and, and, and many of them are, are, are teetering on walking away from the faith, his prayer is not that they, the suffering would end, but they would stand fast. That they would cling to the hope of Christ. They, they would do that by staying in fellowship and staying in the word and staying in love. They would keep on keeping on. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you this morning for the work of Christ. We thank you this morning for your love for us. We thank you this morning for the hope of the resurrection. We thank you this morning for the promise that Christ will return to make all things new. Lord, we pray throughout this week that you would remind us of the good news of the gospel and the hope that we have that we might walk in faith and the good works that you have prepared for us. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Right, the offering will be coming, and uh, as uh, that's going to be.